Taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. On this episode, Inside Music Cast welcomes Joe Porcaro. In the music scene, there are really only a few names that command immediate respect. Names like Sinatra, Foster, Hubbard, Q, Laborial, Jocko, Goodman, Getz, Korea, Belson, and Armstrong. And then there's Percaro, a legacy surname that is renowned in jazz, rock, pop, and classical genres. As owner of this respected surname, Joe Percaro, a most respected percussionist and drummer, has lived a fortunate life that has involved music at every turn. From marching with his dad in his early days, to performing with his sons in the Grammy award-winning album Toto 4, to playing on countless film scores and TV shows over the years, Joe Porcaro is a living legend who lives by the philosophy of passing the music on. He is constantly working to expand his legacy by sharing his musical knowledge, talent, and passion to students who study at the Los Angeles Music Academy, which he helped start in 1996. Here, students work face-to-face with one of music's most respected instructors. His sons, Steve, Mike, and the late Jeff Porcaro, remain the pride of his heart, as they were sole beneficiaries of their father's passion and love of music. Inside Music Cast is honored to welcome a living legend that is still in his prime, Joe Porcaro. Hey, Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. Hey, Joe, you've done an awful lot of interviews in the past, and uh, we've just heard some wonderful stories, and, and we feel like a lot of the world around you and the musician's world that, you know, everybody knows you and they know of you and they have an, a very much an affinity towards you. But I've got a, a question for you. You've heard the saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. My question is, you can take Joe Porcaro out of Connecticut, but can you take the Connecticut out of Joe Porcaro? Are you still a Connecticut uh, Yankee at heart or not? Oh, yeah. Are you really? For sure. We uh-huh. go back every year. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we haven't missed too many years. You know, this year we may not go back because of my son Mike, what right. he's going through. Mm-hmm. But if he, you know, doesn't get any worse, we're going to go back. We, you know, usually my wife is from Maine, uh-huh. and we love the coast of Maine, so we go back there. There's a favorite place we like to go to, Kennebunkport. Oh, yeah, it's really, a yeah. great little town, and uh, it's the same uh, town where George Bush's dad has his sure. compound. That's right. We didn't go there for that, but my wife has some friends she went to school with, you know, yeah. that are from uh, Kennebunkport, so we go and visit them, and then we go over to the, you know, northwest part of the state to see her sister mm-hmm. near the New Hampshire border. Yeah. And then we go down to Connecticut and yeah. spend a week with my family. Wonderful. When I was a kid, I used to work, you know, well, not a kid, but when I was with a casual band, we used to play at the Madison Beach Club. Oh, yeah. And then my uh, my buddy that I still play with out here, Amo Richard, yeah. uh, in New London, there was a, a beautiful restaurant night spot. Uh, in in uh, New London, it was called the Lighthouse Inn, mm-hmm. and we worked there one one summer. You know, like six nights a week, and yeah. it was just a blast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of of, of uh, you know your Hartford uh, Connecticut uh, connection, I mean, uh, I think if I'm correct, Amo, you guys go back all the way to Connecticut in, in grade school, don't you? Or, or, or I met Amo when he tells everybody we met when we were five. <laughs> <laughs> Does he really? <laughs> but Amo and I met when we were ten years old. Oh my goodness! And we, uh, yeah, I had just moved into Hartford from New Britain, Connecticut. That's yeah. where. I was born, right. and I met Amo. I met him in a schoolyard, believe it or not. Really? And he, you know, we were in the same neighborhood, went to the same, you know, elementary school, mm-hmm. and we went to the same church. Uh-huh. And we were at catechism, and uh, our priest, uh, you know, every it was uh, we had an organization uh, at the Catholic uh, church called the. Uh, CYO, Catholic Youth Organization. Yeah, right. And they had a hall, you know, building uh, that eventually became a school. And they, you know, had dances there every Friday, you know, to a play to a Victrola, you know. Sure, sure. And Father, in catechism once, he said, uh, are there any musicians here? I want to <laughs> form a band. And he was a piano player. So Amo and I, you know, we raised our hands, and I didn't even have a drum set. <laughs> you know, I just played real drum, you know. Uh-huh. I played in the drum corps. Yeah, oh, very and cool. Amo, you know, well, he had a marimba in his living room at home, but, you know, he had a xylophone also. 
So we formed a band, Father, you know, Toscano, <laughs> piano, Emo Anzalafone, and me on the drums. And I said, Father, but I don't have a set of drums. Said, oh, boy, how can we get one? <laughs> and um, I don't know if you guys have time for this story. Oh, oh sure. Come sure. on, we have it all the time. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know, uh, we put our heads together, and I said to Father, well, you know, we have a Scotch bass drum. Uh, you know, from the drum corps, yeah. and uh, we could use... My father had a, a, a Ludwig snare drum, because my father played snare drum also in an okay. Italian marching band, you know, uh-huh. concert band. And um, I says, uh, we need to go buy a foot pedal, and we need spurs for the bass drum so it won't roll over, you know, or right, move forward. And so we went to uh, Drago's music shop. It was a used shop, you know, used instruments. And we found some spurs, and we found one of those old, old Ludwig foot pedals with the big cotton beater. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we came back, and we, uh, we put together a drum set. We, uh, was, we didn't have any hi-hat. Uh, we bought a cymbal stand that screwed onto the bass drum. Mm-hmm. I took a field drum, and between the rods and the field drum and, and the bass drum, we used a long screwdriver as the tom-tom holder. <laughs> the mount. And check this out. Then we, you know, so I had the, you know, snare, tom, bass drum, and uh, cymbal. Sure. And I had a dear friend uh, who I grew up with, a great singer. Uh, at our playground, we were the back door to the state theater, the stage door. They used to bring the big bands in there, and uh, Louis Belson came in with the Tommy Dorsey band. And when he came out the stage door after the show, we asked him if he would like to come to our, you know, our hall at church to check our, you know, music room out. You asked Louis that? Louis Belson okay. came. Uh-huh. When he walked in that room, I thought he was going to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> check this out. He sat down and played one of the best drum solos I ever heard in my life, and he was cracking up. <laughs> and I, I told him that story. Well, actually, what was so great about this whole story, man, is that when I moved to L.A. way back in, you know, 66, one of my first record dates was with Louis' band playing Kungas. Really? Uh You know, I did an album with him. Uh, I forgot what the name of the album was. His percussionist was uh, Jack Arnold. Okay. Jack couldn't make the session, so, uh, you know, uh, Louis' contractor heard me play at Dante's and Asked me, you know, did I play percussion? And I did. Yeah. And he hired me. But and I told Louis that story, and he he remembered. He freaked out. He freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, you know, Amo and I, we played every Friday for the dances. We played polkas and waltzes and mazurkas uh-huh. and whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like anything else, you know, we. I started studying, and Amo, you know, was studying, and one thing led to another, and. Uh, years later, you know, Amo had a quartet, and we formed. It was called the Tempo Five, mm-hmm. because we had a singer. We added a singer. We had a Dave McKay, who's out here now playing, you know, great jazz piano player, yeah. blind piano yeah, player. Yeah. Dave was, he grew up with us, too. He was our piano player. Wow. And we had a wonderful bass player, Ortiz Walton, who eventually uh, ended up in the Boston Symphony. Hmm. And that was our band for quite a while. You know, we Amo was stunning with Terry Gibbs in New York, right. and I was stunning with Ali Pack, who to me was the was God. You yeah, know, right. the guy that did it for me. Right. Yeah. But anyways, you know that's my story about Amo. And in fact, we we're playing a gig tomorrow night. You know, we play out here at uh, there's a jazz club in North Hollywood called. Charlie's. It's one of the best jazz clubs in town. Yeah. yeah. It's a real jazz club. You mm-hmm. know. And some great players play there, and uh, we play there once a month. And then uh, tomorrow, this week and last week, there's a big marimba uh, festival going on at the Coburn Center. It's like a uh, uh, an arts high school, mm-hmm. and Amos in there uh, all this week doing a marimba clinic mm. and lessons. So uh, they're topping off the week with uh, our quartet tomorrow night. I'd like to. I'd like to see that. I, I studied marimba for like eight or nine years, and oh, you did! Wow. Yeah, I'd like to. That would be an interesting thing to check out. Right. That's cool. Very That's cool. Neat. Hey, you mentioned Al Lepak, and so did you. Did you work with him? I mean, he was such at that time. I think he, you know he was a uh, huge and, and of course symphonic work and that type of thing. And did you study with him for many years? Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I met Leap when I was about you know uh, 
14, maybe, no, even younger than that. I met him when I was about 12 years old, 13. Huh? And uh, I went to this, uh, you know, during the summer, they have these shells at the park where bands play. Right. And I, you know, I, I was coming into the park, and I heard this big band, Al Gentile's band, who I played with years later. I heard this band, and I heard this drum. I said, oh, my God, who's this? And I went by the stage door, and there's Leepak up there swinging his butt off. <laughs> he had just gotten out, you know, uh, this was, you know, a little bit after the war. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I must have been about 15. 15. And um, he had just gotten out of the Marines. He served in the South Pacific. But anyways, the GIs used to, you know, in those days when they got out, they went under the GI Bill, and Leap used to go to New York and study with Henry Adler. Uh-huh. And when I heard him that night, I said, God, you know, he came down. I said, do you teach? He said, yeah, I, you know, I teach at Sid Winnick's music store and how much you charge. And in those days, it was two bucks or less. <laughs> <laughs> I used to shine shoes and make two bucks. Well, go can. take a lesson with Leap every week. That's cool. That's and cool. he was, you know, I, I, he took to me. I hung out with him a lot. I used to babysit his kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another. He... Uh, Started teaching at the Julius Hart uh, College of, you know, music school, and it became part of the University of Hartford years later. Yeah. But anyways, Leap was teaching there and eventually got his professor credentials, and, you know, they used to have the uh, uh, youth orchestra play on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the school was, uh, it, they didn't have much of a percussion department then, so they were trying to build it up, and that's why they hired Leap, Leapak. And he used to tell me, come on by and sit in on Saturday. You know, you can learn how to play, how to hit the bass drum, play bass drum, because, you know, you read decent enough. This will be great for you. So I used to go every Saturday to rehearsals and sit in. And then, you know, they also had the, in the normal school, the senior orchestra, again, they had, you know, uh, they didn't have that many percussion players. So uh, there were times, like one time, uh, I, you know, he'd let me sit in with the orchestra, yeah, and one time one of the you know uh, conductors wanted to do um, the Suave du Soldat by Stravinsky, and they didn't have a player to do it, and Leap was too busy to do it. So he told me, "Give it a shot." They he told them about me, and they mm-hmm. we had a rehearsal, and boom, I I was able to you know nail it. That's great. So that yeah, that was great experience playing mm-hmm. with that, and then you know. A few years later, the Hartford Symphony formed, and Leap told me to go down and audition. I went, and I got, you know, I got a, I got the gig, second percussion. Neat. And how old and were you then? I was about 17, 18. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, I don't know if you guys, there's a, a wonderful timpanist with the Milwaukee Symphony. He's retired now, Tully Lesbines. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Yeah. But he might be interesting for you to interview someday. But yeah. anyways, Tully was in the same percussion uh, section with us with the Hartford Symphony. He's from Middletown, and he also studied with Leapak. And then Amo, uh, our mallet player, uh, had to leave. And we needed a mallet player, and I told Leap about Amo, and Amo came in, and Amo, whew, forget <laughs> it, you know, he was such a great reader yeah. uh, from day one, you know, because he's... he's uh, Amos started playing the marimba when he was five years old. Mm-hmm. His father used to take him to Florida, and there was some famous teacher in uh, down in Florida that he took lessons with. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember as kids uh, coming home from school, junior high school, we used to go to Amos' house, and he'd like to show off. He put a blanket over the marimba, oh. played a flight of the bumblebee, and some of those famous marimba. Yeah. <laughs> so when Amos left. The Hartford Symphony. I mean, he didn't leave. He had to go to. Uh, he got drafted mm-hmm. uh, at, uh, during the Korean War. You know, so Amo ended up in Japan. Actually, he wanted to go to West Point, and he went. <laughs> this is cute too. Amo went down to. Uh, I think I got this story right. Amo went to West Point to audition for the West Point band. Uh-huh. And when he got there, they said, "Man." You, the only opening we have is the bass drum, and you're too short. <laughs> so he went into the regular army band. It, you know, he turned out all right because when he got to Japan, he became the conductor. I see. You know, he rehearsed the band, and he met 
Cal Jada's brother Curry there, so they had a great jazz group. <laughs> yeah. That's neat. Isn't that cute? Oh, that, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> too make, short they, for the bass. Make West Point because he was too short. <laughs> Hey, well, listen, moving on, I mean, uh, a little bit, you know, you grew up there in, in Connecticut, you got married, you had you had some kids, and uh, take us from there, Wes, to what was the next steps, because well, some, something you moved know, you over I to L.A. Audition for the symphony, and like I said, Leap, uh, you know, uh, I was a chauffeur for the president of an insurance company, London Lancashire Insurance, that mm-hmm. was one of my gigs, okay. and uh, I was fortunate that his wife was on the board of directors of the Hartford Symphony. Mm-hmm. So whenever there was a dress rehearsal, and the company was right next door to the Bushnell Memorial, yeah. so there was no problem for me to take some time off from you know my gig. But anyway, sure. uh, part of my gig uh, as the, the you know as a chauffeur for him, a driver, uh, after I would drop him off at the railroad station. Uh, or do some shopping, you know, go out to West Hartford and pick up his wife and shop. I always had some time on my hands, so I would go by the Hart School, to, you know, just bring Leap a cup of coffee and sit in his, uh, you know, when he wasn't in class, when his private teaching was going on, I'd go in and check him out, you know, uh-huh. give him lessons. Sure. Well, you know, I walked by this room, and lo and behold, there's this beautiful girl taking a clarinet lesson, and it was my wife. <laughs> And uh, to be wife, right. and, uh, when I walked by, I says to Leap, I says, boy, I'm going to marry that chick, man. That's <laughs> I waited, uh, you know, I was about 23 then. I says, it's time, and I think, I think there's the girl for me. So wow. I asked her out for a date. Uh, I, in fact, I think Amo introduced me to her. Yeah. Because Amo used to come by and hang out, too. You know, they had a student, uh, uh, you know, a lobby where the kids all hung out. Yeah, at the school, So yeah. that's where I met my wife. I really? took her on a date and... Boom, bang, boom! Everything happened so fast. We got married, and she was a music ed teacher. Uh, I mean, she was studying to be a music ed, you know, a music teacher. Sure. Yeah. And um, she played flute, great flute too. And she didn't want to know. We went home and met her folks, and she told her dad that she wanted to get married. And uh, look at that! Uh, he got all freaked out a little bit because she. <laughs> She, she didn't even finish one semester. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we got married, and we had uh, Jeff and Mike one after another, and yeah. uh, uh, then uh, Steve came two years later, and two years later after that, Jolene. And, uh-huh. you know, one thing about what happened with me and my kids, you know, because I was, uh, I was really, I wanted to be a bebop jazz drummer more than anything. Right. And, uh-huh. you know, just... Because of economics, of course, uh, and fortunately, I studied hard and became a good reader, and you know, and I owe it all to Leapak and everything he did for me. You know, auditioning for these gigs and getting them. He even used to send me in sometimes at the university to you know cover for him sometimes really? for the music ed students. You know, to teach him about tech, you know, drum technique mm-hmm. and things like that. And then the symphony started to. Um, grow you know we didn't make any money in those days but after about two or three years they started paying us you know a small salary but sure. mm-hmm. uh, between that and uh, 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 teaching for leap a little bit you know and then playing uh, casuals uh, I was you know I, I became uh, I worked for the same casual leader that leap pack worked for he got me in with him and the guy kept me pretty busy. Yeah. And then there was a, a, a jazz club in Hartford, uh, the High Blind, and they used to bring in, you know, every we played there five nights a week, but every Monday night they featured, uh, they would bring in guys like Zoot Sims, Al Cohen, some of the famous jazz players from New York used to come up. And I was the house drummer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was my love. But, God, I was like, I was so fortunate to be in a town like Hartford where I was playing in the Hartford Symphony. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, playing uh, casuals uh, when I got the gig at the High Blind. Of course, I wasn't doing that anymore, but the guy that I worked for doing casuals, he was the guy that was booking the room. So I got a chance to play with some great piano trios, you know, and guys like Zoot and Al Cohn and yeah. so on. Mm-hmm. I was playing at another jazz club, and... Uh, Amo had come home for a vacation, and he came to this, you know, club where I was playing. Yeah. And uh, he came with Frank Cap, who's a famous drummer out here. 
you know, through the years, Frank has been in the studios, another, another great drummer. Uh-huh. And uh, they said, Amos said, why don't you come and visit me in L.A., man, you know? Because I told him what I was doing, and, you know, I wasn't happy. I would love to either go to New York or L.A. He said, come and visit me. So when I was doing the Good Speed Opera House, you know, you do uh, six days a week and a matinee on Wednesday and Saturday. I said, you know, uh, this isn't it for me. And uh, I went to the phone. I called Amo. He says, come on out. Hmm. So <laughs> I, I talked it over with my wife, and she says, go for it. So I went out and hung out with Amo for a week. You know, and he took me a God, he was, well, he still is, but he was, like, going day and night. We'd get up at, you know, 7 in the morning, and he'd have a 9 o'clock call uh, out at MGM, and then 1 o'clock at Universal, and then, uh, you know, 6 o'clock over at United. I mean, he was between, you know, doing movies and record dates and jingles. And with all that, I got to meet Larry Bunker and Shelley, all the guys, you know, it was incredible. So... When it was all over with, the week was over with, uh, Amos says, what do you think? I said, you know, him, you know, I, I know I can handle with my symphony experience, you know. Yeah. Uh, I played the Rites of Spring and all that, and, and 15 years with the Hartford Symphony, I know I got the goods, but I'm not sure about four mallet, you know, playing on vibes. Right. Like I'm noticing you're having to play chords, and sometimes they give you some changes to play, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. You know, sharp this, flat that. <laughs> I says, I, I want, I want to hear uh, to work on my timpani playing and mallet work, and then you're going to see me. So I did. I yeah. waited one year. I had saved five thousand dollars, and my wife was really. I chickened out to tell you the truth. Yeah, I was going to. You know, I said, you know, maybe we better not go. And my wife says, No, you're going. Look it's too that. late now. <laughs> so you know, we saved five thousand dollars, and she says, Look it. I went to the, uh, our conductor at the time was a wonderful conductor, Arthur Winograd with the symphony. And I went up to him, you know, during rehearsal one day, and I says, Mr. Winograd, you know, uh, you know, I've always had this thing about either New York or L.A., and I want to go to L.A. Uh, you think you could give me a sabbat, you know, a year's leave of absence? He said, of course, go for it. You'll <laughs> wow. have your gig when you get back. So my wife says, there you are. You know, we got $5,000. If, if it's all gone, we come back home. You got your gig. Yeah, that's right. We didn't lose anything. Look at that. So we went for it. And, you know, Amos says, look it, call drummers up. That's the thing to do, man, you know, because nobody knows you right now. The best thing to get started uh, is call drummers. I'll do what I can for you, but call drummers because, you know, you also want to go for the drum thing. Yeah. And I started calling, like, Chuck Flores and guys, you know, if they uh, couldn't do a casual, I'm in for it, or if they're doing a rehearsal at the union. That's a big thing here at the Musicians' Union. You go down there, man, you hear some of the greatest bands you ever heard in your life and players. They all go there to keep their chops up, the studio guys, you know. They're all of them, man. They're in all these rehearsal bands. There must be about five of them. So I went down to Union, I saw Chuck there one day, and went up, introduced myself. Before you know it, he started calling me to go down to the Union and rehearse with Carlton McBeth's band, wow. or he recommended me for casuals, and kind of boom, one thing, left, uh, uh, one thing after another. One night I got a phone call uh, from the, you know, when you come here as a musician, you have to join an answering service. So I joined, and I got a phone call, and the service said, uh, Charlie Shoemake, uh, this vibe player, had a rehearsal at SC with Bill Kraft. Bill Kraft was the, uh, I don't know if you heard of Bill Kraft, he was the oh, yeah. with the L.A. Philharmonic. Right. And he's a wonderful composer. And uh, I went, you know, Charlie brought the vibe part over, I looked at it, I said, yeah, I can handle this. So I went to SC and rehearsed with uh, Bill Kraft, and he was pissed off that uh, Charlie didn't let him know that I was coming, you know, a sub. And so after the rehearsal, he came up to me, says, do you want to do the concert? I said, well, I don't want to, you know, take anything away. He said, no. He says, what he did was uncalled for, and uh, uh, if you don't do it, I'll get somebody else. So I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. Uh, Pierre Boulez came over and was part of the, it was, there was this big, every summer up here in Ojai, California, they do this big music fest, you know. 
and uh, it's a mixture. They had sometimes they used to have some jazz, not anymore. But anyways, Boulez did uh, Manos and uh, by Stravinsky. In fact, Stravinsky was there, and he did. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know much about Pierre Boulez, but he's a you know wonderful composer, mm-hmm. and he does. There's a, a piece he wrote where you know uh, you just have groupettos of of notes. And there's no, there's numbers, Roman numerals above and above, and all those. You know, this will take an hour to explain. But <laughs> in other words, he controls the orchestra. You play when he tells you to, right. when he points to you, mm-hmm. or if he uh, if he calls uh, your number. So it was really incredible. Wow. So you know, in the audience are all these you know music contractors and composers, Lalo Schifrin, you know, and. It was no big deal. That's how it all started for me. Uh, Bill Kraft, uh, uh, you know, from then on, I got to know Bill. Uh, there was, a, you know, they needed extra players at the Hollywood Bowl with the L.A. Philharmonic yeah. and downtown with the regular orchestra, mm-hmm. and he recommended me to the contractor. And, you know, in the audience, people read the program, and your name is there, you know. Yeah. And there was this one contractor. And meanwhile, when all this was happening... Uh, my friend Dave McKay, the piano player, recommended me Shelly. Uh, Shelly Mann had a jazz club called okay. Shelly's Manhole right. in oh, Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Dave uh, got hired. To, to, I don't know if you guys remember Chet Baker, the trumpet player. Sure, absolutely. And uh, Chet Baker was going into Shelly's Manhole, and he needed a drummer. So I went. In, uh, Dave recommended me, and I, you know, I went down and did it for a week. With Chet? With with uh, Chet Baker, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And it was a wonderful band. Dave, uh, the bass player, I just rebuilt somebody, but he was wonderful. And myself and Chet. Well, anyways, you know, of course, Shelley uh, always worked at the club when there's a featured artist just to keep his chops up. He had the intermission band, okay. you know, and because it was Shelley's manhole, you know, like Larry Bunker, all the cats used to come in, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was in the band room at back, and I got talking with, you know, Shelly came over, you know, and you, you, can you imagine me having to play uh, in one of my idols all my life? Shelly, man, yeah. I adored him, you know. I mean, he did a lot of TV stuff back uh, Yeah, you know, oh, times. yeah. Yeah. And he asked me about my background. I told him, he goes, well, you know, I do this uh, TV show, Doctari, and I, I need a, you know, Sometimes Amo or Bunk, you know, uh, Frankie Carlson can't make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you feel comfortable playing percussion, and from what I heard about your background, and I need a guy that plays drums too, yeah. you're going to hear from me, you know. The Boom, guy. the very next week, <laughs> I got a call to do Doc Tari from Shelley's contract. Yeah. The Jeez. most work Shelley did, his main source of uh, work was out at Universal. And uh, Bobby Helford, his contractor, came up to him one day and said, you know, Shelly, I need another guy uh, who plays percussion and drums, you know, uh, because uh, those TV shows were low budget, and they didn't want to have to hire a drummer and a percussionist. Yeah, yeah, right. And so Shelly says, I got just a guy for you. He just moved in town. And he says, Joe Picaro. And Bobby F. says, wait a minute. I I saw his name on the uh, program the other night at the bowl playing with the L.A. Film. Uh-huh. And Shelly says, yeah, give him a shot. <laughs> And he called me uh, to do a, a movie called Sweet Charity. Okay. And boom, the you know n- movies are done probably three or four day calls, but in those days they were about a week. Wow. You know they took their time. Well, my God, this guy put me on his list, and uh, I lived at Universal. I used to work there three, four days a week. Wow. Mm. And then, you know, I met Lalo, was at, uh, you know, those concerts I told you about, Lalo Schifrin. Yeah. Uh-huh. And again, you know, he recommended me to the contractor at Paramount, again, because of, uh, you know, uh, being able to play drums and percussion. And I met, uh, he just passed away, uh, Stan Levy was, yeah. uh, you know, working for Lalo then on drums and percussion. And then Larry Bunker, too. That's where I met Bunk, you know. And before you know it, I was doing Mission Impossible for Lalo. Look at that. Playing drums and percussion. And then over at the CBS, I was doing, I did Hawaii Five O for about four or five years. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then, you know, then I got into the movie scene with this Bobby Helfer. And then Amo, you know, started 
hearing about me, you know, uh, what was going on. And before you know it, Amo, you know, felt confident to start recommending me. And, you know, boom, you know, then we formed our band again with Amo, with Dave McKay. We That's did a cool. bunch of gigs out here. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, deja vu, you know. And this is just a, a curiosity of mine, but but having worked on some of those shows, did I was thinking about uh, Steve Lukather's father, Bill Lukather. Who, who was an assistant uh, producer on a lot of those shows, including I Dream of Genie. And I, I wondered if you ever had an opportunity to, to meet him or if, the, or if that's how you met him. Or no, no. You never met him uh, that way? No, I never met his dad. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Like I okay. said, because we never get involved with the people in the booth. Sure. Yeah. But Luke, uh, see, we were fortunate that we moved to North Hollywood, and my kids, uh, Jeff and uh, Steve and Mike, uh, met Lukather at uh, Grant High School. Right, right. High. That's how they met. Mm-hmm. And uh, how that all formed, it was in two stages. Uh, Steve Picaro, you know, had his own little group he called Real Still Life. And, uh, right. you know, uh, Carlos Vega was his drummer. I used to see Carlos in my garage just about every other day. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, you know, man, he's... And I, I first... Uh, I, I, not only did I know him then, but uh, the high school he went to, his the music teacher was a great jazz trumpet player, and he hired me to play at uh, uh, Eagle Rock hi- High School for a concert on uh, Sunday. Huh. And, uh, you know, Carlos was there, and that's how I met Carlos. But, uh, and, of course, I used to see him at the house. But Luke was uh, also playing guitar, you know, in Steve's Rules Still Life Band. As far as um, Paige and Jeff... They they started before them, and what happened with that was, uh, if you want me to tell you about it. Oh, sure. sure. Um, He's going I, I was doing the, one of my gigs, besides doing, you know, like freelance out here. Uh-huh. Uh, when I first moved in town, right in the beginning also, I got a call to do the Glenn Campbell. I don't know if you guys remember the right. Glenn Campbell yep. Variety Hour. Yep. Sure. And, and uh, TV, uh, live TV was big in those days. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you had the Dean Martin show, yeah. Peggy Lee, you yeah, know. The, the big variety shows. It was just crazy, yeah. you know, with the uh, live TV shows, NBC, CBS. Anyways, I was over at CBS. I was doing Glenn Campbell, and uh, Marty Page was the conductor. I went in just for one night to play this other percussionist. It was his gig, Gene Estes. And he started getting busy in the movies, you know, so some guys shied away from live TV. And I went in and, uh, you know, got called to do this one show, and Marty liked what I did. And, uh, you know, he told the contractor to hire me, Red Mandel. Well, I took Jeff with me during the summer. School was off. I took Jeff with me to uh, one of the dress rehearsals. And, you know, I, I was surrounded by a glass cage, so, you know, the percussion wouldn't leak into the violins and all that. Right. Sure. And I stood Jeffrey up on a stool in the corner, and I said, look, when you see that red light go on, don't you move. I'll kill you. <laughs> how, old, <laughs> how old was he, Joe? Uh, Jeffrey was about, uh, I would say he would, uh, was about 16. Uh-huh. Okay. You know? So after one of the breaks, the contractor came over and he says, hey, Joe, he says, who's that kid in the corner there? That's my son. <laughs> He says, well, man, you know, you should know better. You don't bring kids around here, man. You know, if they make a noise and they ruin a take, you know, don't, don't, don't bring them around anymore, you know, uh, please. So I said, okay, Red, no problem. And uh, we, there was a lunch break. We went out. And meanwhile, you know, during one of the breaks, Marty used to bring his son, uh, David Page, to the gig. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, every once in a while, he would ask the piano player, studio piano player, he, uh, Marty would ask him, let David sit in. David was a pretty good little reader, you know. So he used to, you know, sit in, play piano for Glenn, you know. And when we went to lunch, Jeff and uh, David stayed. And we went, you know, we came back from lunch and we walk in the studio. Yeah. There's Jeff and David going at it, you know, <laughs> as they're playing some rock tune, you know. Phew. You know, everybody says, holy Christ. And the drummer was uh, Paul Humphrey, not Ralph Humphrey. Okay. Paul Humphrey was, man. He says, that your son, Joe? He says, yeah, that's Jeffrey. He says, Jesus Christ, man. You know, he sounds great. <laughs> well, you know, that's how it started, man. Yeah. Uh, Jeff and, and David, David was going to high school out here, you know, in uh, Chaminade and uh, Woodland Hills. And uh, 
Jeff told David about, you know, some of the guys he was playing with at, in, at Grant High School, and there was Lukather, and they met David, and there was Jeff, and one thing led to another. Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, David Page was doing some work with Dave Hungate. Okay. And they were doing some, you know, demo sessions, nothing big, but anyways, uh, David told uh, David Page told Dave Hungate about Jeff, and could a boom there it was man there's the trio they got him with wow. the, uh, well of course they they brought Hungate Mike wasn't playing with the guys at that time he was mm-hmm. playing in Steve's band okay and um, Hungate started hanging out with Jeff and uh, Paige and you know they got Lucas there and that's how that started wow that's <laughs> and then uh, Paige and Hungate were going out weekends with Sonny and Sure. that's right and uh Willie Ornelas, I think, who was the drummer, was leaving the band, so they got Jeff on the band. Well, Jeff was still in high school. Right. <laughs> so Jeff was, you know, maybe 16, 17 right. then. So he came up to Aileen and I said, the Dad, uh, they want me to, I went and auditioned for Sonny and Sharon. I got the gig. They want, me to, <laughs> they want me to go on the road. I said, well, you know, maybe they can get somebody because, you know, you're not going. You're finishing high school. I said, you know, I never was able to finish high school, and I want somebody in my family to finish high school. I said, you got to set an example. You're going to graduate. Yeah. You're not going. <laughs> he said, Dad, I'm going to go. That's what uh, I want to do for my livelihood. So my wife is checking all this out, and she got the brainstorm. She says, screw it. She went right to the principal, and uh, who was a sweetheart. And, you know, she told him what was going on. He looked up his record. He says, hey, wait a minute. He's got enough credits to graduate. No kidding. You know, and he has a good record. He played in all the school bands. Yeah. He donated, you know, he gave a lot of time to the school orchestra. They did musicals. That's where Jeff learned how to read. Uh-huh. You know, I, I didn't do that much with him, except, yeah, when we moved out there, you know, we worked out of, uh, uh, you know, the Buddy Rich's book, and we did Wilcox, and, you know, we did a lot of stuff, but... You know, and he got to read pretty decent, but, uh, and then, I, you know, every Saturday there was a percussionist from the Philharmonic that had uh, uh, to, you know, earn more money. He would have percussion ensemble rehearsals in his garage in North Hollywood. You know, and the kids would pay like five bucks, whatever yeah, right, it was. Sure. And they, you know, he played some nice percussion ensemble. They, they had to play snare drum, then go over and play, you know, tune drums or whatever. So Jeff got to you know follow a conductor and all that. <laughs> so the principal says no problem. And when the, when when it's time to graduate, just have him come to graduation. Maybe he'll be in town, which it happened. <laughs> Went to graduation later on in June. So you know that's that's how all that started. That's very cool. With yeah. uh, Jeff and Hungay, you know they were with Sonny and Sheer. Sure. And <clears throat> a little bit before that, also. This is another story, if you don't mind. No, 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 not at all. Uh, we lived in, at that time. We lived in Studio City, and there was a little park, a beautiful little park, and the kids used to go there and hang. You know, they play softball sure. and tennis or whatever, basketball. <clears throat> well, there was a Halloween dance going on. This was in October, and the kids uh, they had that before uh, the page thing. They had. Um, Jeff was playing with Lukather, and yeah, I think uh, Paige was involved too. Okay. Anyways, they were playing at the, they were playing for this Halloween dance, and this music contractor, Jules Chaikin, uh, brought his son there, Matt. And, and the reason why I know his name, I gave him lessons uh, years later. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, and then I used to work for Jules. He, you know, he used to use me on some of his calls. Okay. So he called me up. You know, Jeff worked there, and he called me up the next day. He goes. Hey, why didn't you tell me about your son, Jeff? I said, what do you mean? He says, man, I, I brought Matt to the park the other night, and uh, these guys were breaking it up. They played like a, a Tower of Power and, you know, whatever. I said, well, you know, I, I don't like to, you know, come on. But, but, you know, like a proud father. And exactly said, right. You know, I, I leave Jeff alone, man. You know, yeah. He says, well, i got to tell you something. He says, um, Jules says, look at every Saturday, uh, Jack Doherty, the producer of The Carpenters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he says, if, in case you don't know, Jack was a piano player with Woody Herman at one time. Wow. You know, he was a, you know, a great arranger, you know, uh, but 
don't let working, you know, uh, producing the carpenters fool you, but he's got a wonderful rehearsal band. All the great studio players come every Saturday yeah. and rehearse his charts. And he's looking for a young, you know, drummer because of how Blaine has been doing it, but, you know, how cancels a lot. He's so busy. Yeah. So he says, uh, what do you think? You think Jeff could, you know, read those eyes and jewels? And, you know, he's, he's a... You know, he's done some musicals at school. You know, he he, uh, he did the Battle of the Bands. He was the drummer. His group, uh, by the way, uh, Jeff Page and Lucas, they uh, tried out uh, and entered their group yeah. for the Battle of Bands in those days at the Hollywood Bowl. They yeah. don't do it anymore. Right, right. But they didn't make it. But Jeff got picked by the music directors to be the drummer for the stage band, okay. to play for the singers, and then... Uh, Henry Mancini came in and conducted a you know big uh, thing he wrote for them with vocals and all that. Right. And then they had the L.A. Baptist Choir. They played this gospel stuff. But so, anyways, uh, they hired Jeff for that. So he went and uh, played for Jack and Jules, and uh, Jack loved them. And also that same day, Keltner came. Okay. Oh, wow. And you know, freak <laughs> Jeff out because yeah. this is one of his idols. He right. always says, "Dad, you got to hear this drummer, Jim Kilner." Right, Jim Kilner. You know, and here he is. So Jack decided that uh, Jeff would play, and Kilner they would do double drums. <laughs> so you know, uh, <laughs> just like everything else, man. Who's in the band? You know, Ray Brown, uh, Max Bennett. Uh, yeah. You know, all these studio guys that I I was working with. You know. And, you know, Jeff goes in and plays. They did an album called uh, Class of 1970. And when the album came out, there's like four pages of, it looked like a yearbook. You know, when you graduate high school, there were pictures of every studio musician you could ever think of. You know, John Guerin was in there, uh, Paul Humphrey was in there, Ray Brown, and so on. Anyways, you know, after that album and, and all those studio players, some of them never heard Jeff. They, you know, they told contractors, and before you know it, you know, besides Sonny and Cher, he was doing all this studio work. Right. He was getting called for, you know, TV film, for movies. Yeah. Oh, man, it just it's incredible. went crazy. Yeah. When Jeff was uh, with Sonny and Cher, Sonny, you know, they be, they bonded, and, he, you know, he just loved the guys, Sonny and Cher. They became very, very close friends. Wow. And uh, so Sonny and Cher got this TV show. I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys... Oh, yeah. You might be too young for no, it. I, I remember know. that. They had, a, they had a live show. Sure. And Sonny went to Jimmy Dale, the conductor who, you know, originates from Canada, and asked Jimmy... They had been using, like, Frank Cap, you know, studio guys to sure. do the show. Well, Sonny uh, asked, you know, Jimmy Dale if, if he would mind giving Jeff a shot at it, and, you know, if it didn't work out. And Jimmy didn't really want to do it because, you know, he said, what if he, you know, what if he bombs, man? You know, what if right. we do? We, we got to not cancel the gig, but, you know, wait and get a call up a studio guy to come in, you know, and it could be very embarrassing for right. Jeff, sure. you know. Well, anyways, Jimmy says, okay, we'll give him a shot. Well, you know, Jeff came through with flying colors, you know. <laughs> Jimmy loved them, you know. Right. And that That's was it. Great. He did the show for two years or something like that. Yeah. And... Jeff was fortunate because the percussionist on the gig was Alan uh, Alan Esses, who's a great drummer and percussionist. He's still involved heavily in the studios. Right. And anyways, you know, I told Jeff, I said, look, if you come across, don't be embarrassed. If you come across something you don't understand, but, you know, I know you, man. I know what you've done. There's no way you can't figure out how a rhythm goes, you know? Yeah. So relax. But if there is something... <laughs> You want reassurance? Just go over to Allen. Don't be afraid. Go over and tell him, hey, how does this go? Because I know Jeff. He's very musical. You know, he yes. just has to hear it once. And that's yeah. it. Well, you know, he, that happened to him a couple of times. He had to go to Allen and, you know, ask him. And then before you know it, he never had to. Yeah. You know, he was he was a seasoned player. Look at that. So, that yeah, he, he came through with flying colors with yeah. that show. And, and here's here's the cap of it all. The contractor on that show was Red Mandel, the guy that said, don't ever bring him around to New York. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Isn't that funny, man? That is so funny. The and guy and Red, said... Red ended up oh, loving him. And not only that, this is even funnier. 
Jeff was doing record dates, you know. Yeah. And they had a call, you know, Sonny Cher. He, he called Red and says, I, I can't do it tomorrow. I got a, a very important record date. He says, I'm going to have to send a sub. He says, I'll send Frank Cap. <laughs> that's great. And Frank that's went great. to. Oh, that's, that's so good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was really uh, Jeff was something. Else. Hey, uh, Joe, I, I've got, I've, I've always wanted to ask you this, and it's great that we're going to talk because I heard a story. Uh, I don't know who told this to me or where I heard it, but um, and this is about you and Jeff. That um, and the story is, is when I, I think when he was a teenager, like going back, you know, before you know, maybe 13, 14 years old or something like that. He apparently, you know, I guess at the time was more interested maybe in getting a part-time job and making some extra money than he was interested in, in practicing, you know, his drums. Is it true that you offered him more money per hour to practice drums than My he My wife. It was your wife? My wife would pay them to practice. Oh, tell yeah? Us, tell us about that. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Put the clock on. Yeah. yeah so I, st- I, you know, to be honest, I don't remember what uh, you, but... Uh, all three of them, and yeah. he would pay them to practice. That's right. great. But, you know, i got to tell you the truth. Uh, when we moved out here, you know, of course, things were slow, you know. Right. So Jeff and I spent a lot of time, you know, in the back room, you know, after school. Mm-hmm. Uh, take out the Wilcoxon book, the Adler sure. book. You know, there's some good reading, especially reading the rudiments and three-quarters in that book. You know, there's some tricky stuff. Sure. And, of course, I had you know, confiscated, uh, you know, a few uh, reading books myself. So we, you know, yeah. we'd go in. But here's another thing. A lot of guys don't know this. When uh, uh, This is another little story about Jeff. When Jeff was going to Grant High School, you know, uh, the band used to play at, a, you know, a lot of functions at the school. So the band, they also, like Steve's group, they were called Rule Stair Life. And Rule Stair Life was a Tom Scott. That was the name of his band. And the kids used to love him. And when Tom, you know, left high school and, you know, went on to SC and whatever, you know, they took over that name, you know. So for a while there, Jeff had that name, Mm -hmm. you know, their band. Okay. And they developed a reputation. Well, on the way, Jeff used to walk to uh, Grant High. My wife used to drive sometimes, but they used to walk. And on the way home, there's, uh, you know, these big avenues, you know, Burbank Avenue. Sure. Anyways, there was an electronic store there. And in the back, the guy had a recording studio, the owner. Hmm. And this is when, you know, records, you know, rock was really starting to mushroom like crazy. And there was all these little studios around, you know, North Hollywood. Well, this guy used to, you know, find singers, you know, and produce. And they would hire musicians. They called them demos. And he would pay them $25 a song. And he heard about Jeff. He got Jeff's number somehow, you know. And he called Jeff up. And uh, on the way from school, Jeff used to stop in there and do some, you know, the drums, everything were there, you know. The guy had everything. And he would do demos. And he learned about, you know, playing with a click and, you know, keeping time. It was what incredible experience. I mean, here he is, you know, making 25 some days. He'd do two tunes, 50 bucks, you know, not not every day, you know. But he was earning some money even in high school recording. And he learned a lot, you know, from all of that about recording, you know, and how to play for a singer and how to, you know, whatever. That experience was invaluable for him. That's so a lot that he did came from experience, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, and speaking w- about Steve, Mike, and of course Jeff, who we all miss so much, they were all, you know, and are and were, you know, uh, great musicians in their own right, Joe. And uh, as a father watching them grow up and uh, grow into music, you know, h- how were they different in their approach, in their attitudes, and their talents? I mean, they all play different types of, um, you know, instruments, that type of thing. Growing up, what what type of differences did uh, did you notice in them? Well, you know. Uh First of all, they all play drums. Okay. Mike took drum lessons along with Jeff. See, when I, when when Al Lee Pack had a drum shop, like I told you, you know, when we first got married, Leap gave me, you know, uh, let me go over. You know, he helped me get some students at his shop. Yeah. So on Saturday, you know, I would bring Jeff with me, and Jeff or Mike, both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like twins. Steve was too young then, you know, okay. but uh, Jeff and Mike used to come with me and. You know, there were Lee Pack, uh, you know, would get a cancellation. And we had another great, great drummer there, Artie Peretta. Um, uh, 
who was teaching there with us at the same time. You know, sometimes they would have some time to say, hey, Mike, come on in. Or Leap would say, Jeff, come on, I'll give you a lesson. So, uh, or they'd sit in my studio and watch me give a lesson. You know, they were like Mutt and Jeff, the two of them. (laughs) And then when I was with the Hartford Symphony, you know, in, in the fall, we used to do children's concerts once a month. And the kids, Jeff and Mike, used to love to come. They loved, you know, they'd help us carry in the timpani, you know, the xylophone, and, you know, the instruments. They just used to love that. And then they go out in the audience and, you know, hear all this wonderful music, you know, and they loved it. Yeah. They loved pop concerts, man. Yeah, you know, Peter and the Wolf, you know, Prokofiev sure. and all that. They just loved that stuff. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, later on, one thing led to another, and Mike got interested in the guitar. Actually, Jeff, both of them uh, were playing guitar just briefly, you know. Yeah. And then eventually, uh, actually, Mike didn't even own uh, all he had before we moved to L.A. He just had a guitar. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, except for my drums at home, Jeff had a Remo practice uh, set that was his drum set. Hmm, yeah. Uh, and, you know, Steve was just, uh, he was taking piano lessons. But all during junior high school, Steve played percussion in, in the uh, uh, junior high school band and high school. Steve was the, one of the percussion players. Interesting. He was a pretty good timpanist. Yeah, that's neat. But, you know, it, it was just, the, to tell you the truth, Jeff was the leader, man. They uh, always looked up to him. Yeah. In this family, I got to, uh, you know, this is really, uh, I don't know, it's hard for me to talk about it sometimes, but yeah. uh, like my wife, you know, uh, she was buying drapes or curtains, you know. Jeff, what do you think? Because he was very artistic. Absolutely, you know? yes. I, you probably heard that. He's pretty, yeah. pretty good artist. Right. You know, furniture, uh, anything, you know, going to buy a car, you know, you should get this, you know, he just, he just had that vibe about him, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. Mike, you know, there were never any scenes, you know, they might disagree on somebody, and it was so cute, man, we, we, when we moved to California and we hear a jazz, we have the jazz station on it, it's a jazz tune, uh, I says, who's that playing drums, you know, Jeff would say, Philly Joe Jones. And, wow. uh, and Mike would say, no, no, it sounds like Max Roach. They could identify the guys. That's great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from day one, you know, of course, my idol was uh, Miles Davis. And when Jeff was born, man, and Mike and even yeah. Steve, all they heard uh, in the house, uh, they didn't hear any symphony music or, uh, yeah, operas. Well, I shouldn't say that sometimes, but. You know, it was always bebop, you know, Miles or, you know, who, who was my, you know, always my favorite. Uh, you know, I remember Jeff used to even uh, ad lib. I mean, he was able to sing Miles's chorus on Bag's Groove, you know. Oh, yeah. Crack me up. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, you know, he Jeff had that vibe about him, you yeah. know. He was yeah. kind of like a leader. I think we've heard that from other musicians we've talked to in the past about just his presence in the studio, you know. It just uh, And he had a heart of gold, yeah. man, you know. I mean, Jesus, if you were Jeff, you know, and that's another thing. You know, he had more guys hanging around uh, his house in North Hollywood and eventually his wife, you know. He, he had built a beautiful studio. Really? Uh, uh, in his backyard, I mean, this was with a state of the arts, you know, booth and all that, you know. Yeah. And they did a lot of total stuff there, but especially overdubs, you know. Right, right. And you know, just some of his friends that he grew up with uh, were always over there and hanging. And his wife couldn't handle it anymore, and she made him move to not not made him, but talked him into moving to yeah. to uh, Hidden Hills. Right. Uh, but he was so happy there, man. He mm-hmm. was in his glory at that point. <laughs> and so I felt bad for him that, you know, she wanted to move to Hidden Hills. But, you know, yeah. you got to keep your uh, marriage together. You you're, you're absolutely right. That That's right. Hey, I've got a question. And uh, this is one of my favorite albums, and I really cherish this because it's uh, it means an awful lot to me. I'm, I'm a keyboardist myself, but in 83, I mean, I, I play this album over and over. You helped uh, uh, James Newton Howard, and uh, I think it was uh, Dave, Steve, and, and Jeff, uh, and James you. James Newton Howard and friends. Yes, you got it. And you guys uh, worked at Sheffield Labs on uh, on that one album and in December 83. Yeah. And that's when they were, Yamaha was just released 
releasing the DX7. And uh, that is just, even to this day, just a phenomenal recording. But can you explain a little bit of what, because you participated every day yeah, on that. Per- well, I, I, yeah, I was there all three days. Yeah. What it was, you know, James wanted a, you know, James Newton Howard, who was, uh, you know, yeah, sure. I don't have to tell you today. He's no, we know who he is. after composers, sure. you know. But anyways, James was hanging with the guys a lot then. You know, if the guys would play at the NAMM show, for instance, you know, for Yamaha, Mm -hmm. James always came and sat in with them, you know. He always used to love hanging with the guys. And then, you know, he was writing, he was doing string dates for groups, you know. And, uh, you know, he looked up to Marty Page. You know, David's dad was a great writer, you Mm -hmm. know, Ranger. So Marty was teaching James, you know, how to voice for strings and all that. But anyways... Uh, so the guys were always hanging together. Yeah. And James got hired by uh, Sheffield Labs, which was Lincoln uh, Mayorga, this great piano player, was his company. And out of MGM Studios, it's a humongous stage, you mm-hmm. know, music stage for, you know, if it's, a, you know, for a symphony orchestra, that's where they score all the music, right. you know, for MGM movies. Well, Lincoln Mayorga, this piano player, there, there was another booth uh, to the right of the stage, and they made it into a recording studio uh, beside the big board in the main room, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it, it, it was like a little, you know, it wasn't a separate building. It was they, they just, you know, redid it and soundproofed it, you know, and that was Lincoln, uh, you know, rented it to do all these uh, Sheffield Lab records. Well, you know, he loved James's work, so he asked James. Uh, they got together and said, okay, I'll put together a group for you. And that was done, uh, what they call at the time, directed disc. Yes, exactly. Right, right. right. So uh, it was uh, Luke, Steve P. played the bass lines on the keyboards, mm-hmm. Jeff, myself, and James. Man. That was the band. And uh, we went in on uh, Friday. It was three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We went on on Friday and ran down the tunes. And then on Saturday... And how this is done, they got like a traffic light, just like you see in the street, <laughs> yeah. you know, green, yellow, and red. Okay. And it's, uh, you know, the, the, you have to imagine it. <laughs> the band is set up in the middle of uh, uh, the MGM soundstage. Now, this is a room that fits like a 125-piece orchestra, you know, humongous. Right. And we're right in the middle of this room. I'm playing percussion. I'm right next to Jeff. And... uh you know, we rehearsed the tunes down. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the name of the engineer. Do you remember? Was it Bill Schnee? Bill Schnee. Bill Schnee, yeah. Okay, there it goes. Bill Schnee. Yeah, okay. Now, you know, Bill, of course, he's in the sound booth. We're, you know, out on the stage. And so now, directed this, I think you understand. You have to do, uh, there were 10 tunes. I, well, it doesn't matter. Right. <clears throat> but you have to do one side without stopping. So you have to put up your music. You know, uh, get it ready on your music stand, and you should have seen some of those charts were five pages long, you know. Uh, yeah. So you have to put them in order. The uh, yellow light goes on. You get ready, and then you see the green light, and check this out. There's no con off. They, we all looked at Jeff, and he just nodded his head. And wow. you do the tune. When you're done, you got 12 seconds or 15 seconds, I think. You get rid of that sheet. You know, the music you were at, and get the other one ready. Yeah. The yellow light comes on, green light, go. And, you know, finish the <laughs> tune, the red light comes on. So you do about four tunes that way. Wow. Amazing. Imagine you have Amazing. to think of the groove, yeah. you know, yeah, and, and all the hits and fills. Oh, my God, man. And those kids came through like I couldn't believe it. Oh, man. yeah. I really couldn't believe it. Some of the most and then, amazing. you know, uh, that was Saturday. And then Sunday, we went in and did the other side. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It was an amazing session. This, some of the best, per- amazing performances uh, that I've ever heard. That was neat. Yeah, they really played great. I just felt bad that Mike didn't play on it. I would have loved to have right. you know, yeah. Mike played on it. But they wanted to do it with, uh, uh, James wanted, they wanted to do it all electronically. Exactly. It was, right. It was done for Yamaha. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I guess you and, and several other uh, performers founded the Los Angeles Music Academy, or LAMA, in 1996. And, um, you know, there, there's so many music schools, and not only in California nationally. So why did, what was your um, uh, motivation just to help start LAMA? Yeah. Well, you see, uh, uh, 
years ago, uh, Musicians Institute, MI, uh, it, it, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big music oh, yeah, in definitely. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Right. And years ago, uh, all that, it started off with GIT, Guitar Institute. Okay. And it was uh, formed by uh, Howard Roberts, a studio, great studio jazz guitar player. And, of course, he got backing from some people. And there was one guy that backed him up was Tommy Tedesco, another studio guitar player that worked with him. And he gave him $60,000 to get it going. Mm-hmm. And they formed GIT, and it was just a small building in Hollywood. And then, you know, uh, it just started mushrooming like crazy. Before you know it, instead of 15 guitar players, there were 50. And before you know it, they had 100. They had to move to a bigger building. And then they d- developed BIT, Bass Institute. They brought in Ray Brown. Mm-hmm. So now it's two schools. And then they used to hire drummers you know, local guys to go in and, you know, do ensemble work with the bass players and guitar players, you know, yeah. playing all different styles. Right. Well, then uh, Tommy Tedesco got the brainstorm. He said, well, why don't we do uh, PIT, Percussion Institute? Yeah. So, and I used to work with Tommy a lot, so he approached me, him and uh, his uh, one of the owners, with uh, Howard Roberts, his name was Pat Hicks, mm-hmm. and his wife had a lot of bread, too, a lot of money, and she put up <laughs> some money. Well, then... Pat Hicks and Tommy contacted me and uh, asked if I would be interested in getting involved with a school like that. So I thought about it, and I said, you know, with with everything that I'm doing, I I really can't do this alone, and uh, I'm not, you know, I love teaching and all that, but I'm not the one to really form something like that. So I thought about it, thought about it, and as ah, the light went on, and I called Ralph Humphrey. Mm. I says, he's the guy. So I called Ralph, and, and we w- had worked on the Don Ellis Band together. He took us, this wonderful drummer, Steve Bohannon, he took his place. He got killed in a car accident. Mm. And Ralph came in, and, you know, that was one of the most incredible bands playing in all the odd meters. It was mm-hmm. a, Someday you guys should check some of his music out. Wow. Some of his albums were just incredible. Okay. Well, anyways... You know, I, I I remember Ralph, what a great job he did playing. And, you know, he's a very intelligent son of a gun. And uh, I called him and I said, you know, I can't. And plus, I'm really that not into rock drumming that much. I knew I would get a lot of feedback. Instead of being hungry and try to do it on my own, I said, why don't we go partners? So, great. He loved the idea. Uh, I told Pat, come on, let's do it. We Opened in 83, we had about 15 drummers, and it grew to 300, over 300 drummers. And, you know, we got a royalty for it, for writing, you know, the, uh, you know, the curriculum. And, uh, you know, I did the reading and uh, technique and stuff like that. Ralph would do the uh, rhythm studies and uh, ensemble and, and so on. You know, we had a real nice course going. Mm-hmm. We covered everything. We brought in uh, Efren Toro to do the Latin stuff. Yeah. And it was a really nice uh, thing happening. Nice. Meanwhile, this uh, Peter Becker, you know, a drummer from Germany, who mm-hmm. came to PIT, that's where we met him, uh, he has these drum schools in Germany called Modern Drum Schools. Okay. And he's always wanted to open schools here. So he met his partner, Tom, on an airplane, and they got talking, and one thing led to another, and they were going to open up Los Angeles Music Academy wow. in uh, Pasadena. And meanwhile, he had uh, Steve Houghton and a guitar player, some well-known guitar player. I don't know his name, a bass player. He had them all hooked up. They were going to, you know, Steve Houghton was going to do the drum thing and so on, just like they did at MI. Well, uh, for some reason, Steve and those other two guys backed out of their deal with Peter, and Peter just heard we had left PIT, you know, MI, he called me up, and he says, what's this I hear, and this and this and that. He says, please, you got to save me, Steve Houghton, and these guys, you know, don't want to do it. I wanted to open up in August, uh, September or October. I call Ralph. He says, come on, let's do it. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so for one whole year, every Sunday, I worked on the curriculum because we didn't want to copy, you know, we didn't want to use the curriculum from uh, MI. Oh, right, right. Because we knew that they would use some of it, you know. Yeah. We just want to... Just redo the whole thing. So we did. We went in and we opened up and, you know, eventually we brought in Mike Shapiro and we got uh, 
I don't know if you guys ever heard of Tony Inzalaco, this great jazz drummer originally from New York. He played with Maynard and, oh God, he played wow. with Oscar Peterson. He moved out here. His wife is a wonderful jazz piano player. And he read about it and he called me up and, you know, one thing led to another. We brought Tony in and we have a wonderful staff and we have a wonderful program and it's growing already. You know, we started again with about 12 guys. Wow. And now we're up to about 70. I recently heard that, uh, that jazz singer Tierney Sutton is going to take over as the uh, yeah, head, head, head of the vocal department. Yeah, she's there now. That's man. great. She's, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, she's such a busy person, but uh, she's yeah. putting together. We have her and we have Dave Posey. We have, oh, God, man, we got some wonderful people there. It's a great little school. And I can tell by the, the talent of drummers that are coming there now. You know, we're getting some really, really talented kids that are coming, especially Japan, I don't believe it. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Some great little players. Yeah. And they're eager, you know, they really want to learn. So, that's uh, the Lama thing. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more I don't know about, you right. know. Yeah. Because I'm only involved there two days a week, you know, since I retired and had uh -huh. my uh, heart operation about five years ago, I've kind of cooled it, you know, because from Thousand Oaks to Pasadena is an hour and 15, sometimes an hour and a half ride. Yeah, right, right. Know, each way, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm just cooling it now. Sure. So, and they were great. They, you know, they, they, they put up with me going there two days a week. I actually was going <laughs> one day, but they, they, I have to go two days yeah. because the school is growing. Yeah, and there's more, but it's it's nice. They they take it easy. I mean, I don't have to stay very late. That's neat. Well, Joe, it's uh, you know, we we really appreciate your your time and and sharing your heart and your mind and your soul with uh, with us uh, about your life and your family. And uh, you well, know, I thought I, I hope I gave you some insight what we're all about. Oh, you, definitely, you really did, and you, you're you're definitely passionate of what you've done and spilled over to your kids. And I tell you, the what an example the Procaro family has been. To, to everybody involved and uh, just feel good that probably uh, everyone in our audience is going to be just really enjoying this right now to hear uh, such a, a legend, you know, talk about his music. And we thank you so much for being with me and Rick. Oh, anytime, man. It's That's been me. my pleasure. That's yeah, good. And please, good luck to you guys, really. Thanks a lot. And please uh, give Mike our best. I, I'm on my way in a few minutes. We're, okay. all, we're all thinking about him. Okay, babe. Right, hey, thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Special thanks to Joe Percaro for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Our goal is to bring you a new episode of Inside Music Cast every other week. Be sure to check out InsideMusicCast.com for continuing updates, including our People's Forum, where you can chat about all things music with Inside Music Cast listeners from around the world. That's InsideMusicCast.com with one C. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com.